Join me every month for the inspiration to find your finish line. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Find Your Finish Line. I'm your host, Mike Riley. And this podcast is not only about you being able to find your finish line at a race or an event, but how about in life? Every day, we've got to find those mini finish lines, then the bigger ones and bigger ones. And if you keep moving forward, you're going to do that. And I talk to people that have jumped over a lot of hurdles. Some of them knocked them down, but they got back up. And the reason they did is because they knew they had a finish line in front of them and they wanted to get there. Athletes and coaches, if you want to take a look at a fantastic training program, check out TriDot Training. TriDot Training has a ton of AI tools for coaches and athletes to be able to train with. The likes of Mark Allen, McKeeley Jones, Marinda Carfay are part of this system. Uh, you coaches, you can really, really try to help your athletes with this type of program. So check it out, everybody. TriDot Training. I'm so excited to have my guest on today. Uh, we've known each other for quite some time, haven't had a lot of conversation together. But before we got on, he said, you know, Mike, I think we're always on the same page. And I, I think we are. You know, when you have a mindset that uh, success is something that is yours for the taking, but sometimes it's hard to do that. Uh, it, it, it's a good lesson in life, but you never can stop striving. And he has done some things that we all just would absolutely dream about. 50 long-distance triathlons, 140.6-mile races in 50 days in 50 states. How about 100 of them in a row? 100 of them in a row. James Lawrence, the Iron Cowboy, originally from Canada, now living with his beautiful wife, Sonny, and his five children in Utah. James, how are you today, brother? Mike, I am absolutely amazing, uh, and it's just kind of nostalgic to to just hear your voice. Um, you ah. are obviously the voice of Iron Man, have been for my entire uh, amazing career that I've been able to participate in, and you and I, you've you've <laughs> greeted me across many many finish lines, and so just an absolute honor to to be here and to um to just like soak in some of your knowledge today. Like I'm I'm here, uh, not not. You know, I know we want to talk about my story, but I, I just love like you have seen so many incredible stories cross the finish line. And and hopefully hopefully we'll get you on my podcast, The Grit Show, um, and we can have, you know, dive into a lot of the stuff you did. But, man, what what an honor, Mike. Just oh, thank no. you so much for having me out. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And I even, you know, I pulled it out. My old Lubbock, Texas cowboy hat, Iron is, Cowboy. Yeah. Uh, I did a race in, in Lubbock, and this was my payment. No, not really, but, but it was part, part of the deal, and I cherish it. And every time we go out cowboy-wise, I've got that baby on. Awesome, man. James, my first question always to all my guests, and this one for a guy like you might be a bit funny, what kind of workout did you get in today? Did you? Yeah, you know, um, I've... As we age, as I'm sure you'll appreciate, we have to put a lot more attention and detail to the smaller, finer things um, in fitness. And so I, I've really embraced um, a yoga routine. And, Good for and you. this morning I, I got into that. And in fact, I'm doing, um, I just finished doing um, um, a guided Chris Nickich through the Chicago Marathon. And what an amazing experience. And those of you that don't know his story, he's a Down syndrome um, young man that found, found, he watched our documentary and found triathlon and, and, and 
him and his dad said, man, if that guy can do 50, I can do one. And and four years ago, started Chris on that journey. And what an honor to to pace him through um, the Chicago Marathon last weekend. And now I'm, I've got my sights set on the Cape Epic, which is oh, uh, I know. <laughs> an eight-day mountain bike stage race in South Africa. Um, it'll be my second time there. And so after my yoga today, jumped on the bike um, and, and hammered out a good power session today. So I'm in my, my winter power build um, to get ready for that. It's in March. And so today, today was yoga, bikes, and then a, a great lift session. I believe all athletes, especially triathletes, should have a strength training program um, that they're doing, especially in the off-season. It, it will change the way you experience your on-season. No doubt. And, you know, that weight training, it's interesting. We share a bit of a connection, another connection. I don't know if you know about this, of wrestling. I wrestled in oh, high school yeah. and college, and and I can't, I have push-up bars in the ground. I can't walk by those push-up bars. I got to pump 10, 12 out, you know, and then go run in there and come back pumping out. What is it about us wrestlers? We always got to, I'd love working with weights and, you know, pushing around the iron, but something about the sit-ups, push-ups, burpees, that stuff you do under your own power, it really works. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I love it. I didn't know you were a wrestler, man. Yeah, I, wrestling was such a passion of mine. And, you know, you get out of high school and college and you don't have an outlet anymore. And ultimately, that's what drove me to triathlon. It was like it was something that I could do, be competitive in, uh, go up against other people in my same age bracket. Um, and, mm-hmm. and really, that's, yeah. what, that's where my, my, my journey shifted was from wrestling um, uh, to triathlon, uh, to triathlon. Um, let me ask you this. Did you guys ever do the pegboard where you, you got the two oh. wooden, wooden pegs? And you oh my go God. Up? Yeah. Probably go up, go up, go up. We would yeah, have to do that and, and, and pull-ups, uh, behind the back, behind the neck after practice. I'm thinking, what is coach crazy? We, we just went through two and a half hours of killing each other. And now we got to do this. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, it's interesting. I, I've just been motivated right now. I'm after this, this interview, I'm going to go buy a pegboard and put it up in my gym. I've got a 14 year old oh. boy and I think it's great for developing mental toughness and, you know, body weight stuff is so great. And he's starting to get into, to weights and stuff. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go buy one and put it up in my gym this week. And, and you know, uh, uh, I've told people all along, I think I learned some of my I did. It set me up in my foundation. It's probably yours. The losses I had and how I got my butt kicked from some, from some guys wrestling going, you know, crawling off the mat. I suck. This is a, how did I lose to him? But even today, I, that foundation of those losses did me a lot more good than the wins. <laughs> I, I guarantee you the lessons I learned over eight years of wrestling have served me well. And, and in fact, if I had like a magic wand, Mike, if I had a magic wand, yeah. I would say that every young man and every young woman has to do two years of um, either combat or um, fighting, some type mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. martial arts. Um, just the discipline you learn, the, the mental toughness, the grit, um, the respect, all of it. Like that would be like if I could create one global law. It would be that every every young person has to do two years of either military or uh, MMA, mixed martial arts type of fighting. Something about that mano a mano, huh? I mean, it just, it it builds. It doesn't break down. It absolutely builds. I got a funny story about the wrestling. Uh, the high school that's down the street from the house here in Poway, California, they've won the state title in California four or five times. Just an amazing program. You know, start the kids out in sixth grade. I take my son when he's a... He was an eighth grader, and I take him to a tournament there, and and I wrestled, and my brother wrestled. My brother was an All American, and okay, Andy, 
you know, he, maybe he'll like to wrestle in high school. He was a baseball player and basketball player. We go to the meet. He's watching. It was halfway through. He looked at me. He says, Dad, nope. I'm sticking with baseball. <laughs> I, said, I said, okay. You know, you can't push him. And, and he played baseball after college. He got paid for it. So it was, it was a good path. But it was so funny. when, And I remember calling my brother going, Andy doesn't want to wrestle. <laughs> you know, like. I, 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 I was devastated when my son, <laughs> we tried it for a season. And, you know, we have a rule. If you start the season, you got to finish it. And so at yeah. least he did that. Uh, but he just, he just didn't gravitate towards it. Uh, but man, we've got five kids and I really, I, I think it's a, a disservice when parents try to live their dreams and passions oh, through. through their kids. And so I, I, I just try to give my kids a lot of opportunities to try a lot of different things. Um, and ultimately he gravitated towards lacrosse and oh, absolutely beautiful. loves it. And so it's been a lot of fun to watch him grow and develop these skills. And he's like, he's, he's in eighth grade, but he's like, dude, I want to, I want to play high school. I want to go to college. I want to get a scholarship. And he's kind of found his path in, in lacrosse. And I didn't grow up on lacrosse. I don't, I, don't, I had to learn the sport too, but it's, it's awesome to watch him like grow and flourish in, in something that he has a passion for. It's a great sport. Fantastic sport. Well, let's jump into the fray of uh, you know, when, when uh, obviously you've finished a lot of races that I was able to call you in, as you said, and, and then you set a goal for yourself. Why not do 50 of those in 50 states, 50 days in a row? When that first came out and I first read about it, I, 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 I never say to someone, I, there's no way you can do that, you know, since it's never been done before. Uh, I just always said to myself, God, I hope you push through it and you don't get injured or something bad happens, you know, where it, where it sets, you, uh, sets you aside. But during that time, you, you've got to stay mentally tough. And you had a lot of naysayers and adversity come your way, you know, during it all. How were you able to block that out so that your mission, your goal could keep continuing? Because that, you know, you hear it, but you don't hear it. Yeah. It, it, it infiltrates, but it doesn't. And I've heard things and go, why'd they say that? I didn't, you know, and then you push it out. So how'd you, how'd you deal with that, James? Yeah. You know, my great question, I think in life, like with anything, um, and you'll probably resonate with this, but as you age, we, we hopefully mature and, and learn, learn from experiences that we've had, but ultimately we get to make choices every single day. And one of the choices is where we get to put our focus and attention and, and what we allow to, to penetrate in and what fuels us. And we can, you know, we can have negative self-talk or positive self-talk. We can listen to negative chatter or surround ourselves with, uh, cheerful and joyful and, and positive things. And that is it. That is a choice that we get to do and how we receive that every single day. And so I, I've just really learned to eliminate the channels in my life where negative chat is coming from. I don't give it any power or any attention. And early in my career, when this this really started to happen, uh, and I've always just been shocked with the, the the culture and mindset of people of 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 not wanting to see other people win. I, I just don't understand this. And and so for me, I just set myself up eliminating channels of of negativity and and really started to surround myself and only consume things that that were lighthearted and, and powerful. Um, and, and that really helped us start to navigate our journey uh, because we do. We all have that choice on what we consume, who we put around ourselves. Um, and at the end of the day, it was me that had to believe in me. 
And it was me that had to trust in my team. And early on, I had the attitude of like, dude, I'm going to show you that I can do this and yeah. you don't know what you're talking about. And it, it was just in this, this, this negative, angry mm-hmm. approach. And I, and I had a, a switch go off one day and I was like, you know what? It, do, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. This is my journey. And, and I, I get to learn the, the, I get to learn the lessons I need to learn along the way. And as soon as I shifted that uh, thought process to, you know what, I'm, I'm going to have an experience. I'm going to prove myself right. And, and I'm going to navigate this for my growth and I'm going to push my personal limits. And even though the outcome would have would maybe been the same of I'm going to prove you wrong or ah, I need to prove myself right. Like this belief, this is way more positive and it, it just shifts the energy and how you operate. And it, it, it actually, it's freeing. It frees you from, from that negative that like, I'm going to show you. And some people are driven by that and they need it. Like David Goggins is a person that's like fueled by people that trash talk and all these things. Like that's just who he is and how he, he navigates. And for me, it's just been like, dude, I'm not even going to pay any attention to that. This is my journey. I'm going to serve my higher good. And I'm going to try to bring as many people as long as with me. And I, I don't have any time or energy for anything else. So that, those, those 50, <laughs> 50 days in 50 different states. I've seen you talk about it and write about it that, you know, a big part of it was it was a nightmare just because you're away from home, the family strain, the stress, them coming to watch and then going back home and the whole deal. What part of it didn't you like? Well, it, it was amazing because um, on the 50, so the, the in 2012, we did 30 official events. Right through 11 countries. Those are the races you would call me in at. And that's where I'd be like away and come home. And the kids sometimes would come and when they could and when they were stateside, but it was through 11 countries. So I was in and out and that was really, really hard to, to navigate and to, to be away from them. I mean, at that part of our journey, my kids were like 10 and under. Mm. Right. And then when we set out on the journey to do the 50, we were like, this is a family affair and we're in this together. And we're going to have experience and the kids are going to do something really cool every single day in every state. Um, and what people don't realize, like outside of the physical and mental accomplishment that that was, this was this was a logistical feat. Um, I don't know if people recognize how big the United States is and, and how difficult it is to go every single day to a new state and then do 140.6 miles like that's you know this it's a full day for even the even the even the fastest guys. It's a full day of, of effort and energy in exertion and then to figure out how to navigate to the next state the next day. Um, and to do that for seven consecutive weeks, no days off. And every single day you asked what was the hardest part is every single day you're walking into a brand new environment that yeah. you've never been into dealing with new people, new personalities, and you have no idea the complications that are going to confront you every single day. And if we can compare that to life, like we truly have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. Like the the conflict that's going on in other countries right now, they didn't know they were going to wake up to that conflict tomorrow, right? And then they did, and so you always have to be ready to to navigate, and that's why you have to show up on your journey. And you, we call it being game ready. You got to be game ready mm. to be able to navigate the the challenges and the adversity. And and what's happening is we're seeing people like shut down, isolate themselves, sit in a dark area, and focus on the things that are going wrong, and it just, they just spiral out of control. And so the hardest thing for us was like every day was a, a new challenging environment. 
every day we were meeting new people and learning how to work with a new team. And, and that as you move across the country, you, you have to learn because you're either going to quit or you're going to become master problem solvers. And, and we adapted the mindset of like, this is happening and, and we just have to figure out how to navigate the challenges and adversity that are put, being put in front of us. Your challenges for the, gosh, I followed you every day on the 100 in a row. You got to do them at home in, in Utah, which uh, was a little bit less of a strain because you could just do it at home, you know, around your beautiful state. Uh, but that became, because you hurt yourself a little bit, and then it, it was like, I want to say the 70th, between the 70th and 80th day, I don't know, I could see something in you. You were, you were pushing forward. There might have been a little doubt, but you were still pushing forward. Did you feel that about that stage of it, around that 70th, 80th? It's what I noticed about your personality, people around you. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it was, oh, my gosh, I got 20 more to go. You know, you got so many done, but you're going, I got 20 more to go. Well, you know, you know, it's fascinating uh, with the whole 100 journey is, 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 you know, leading up to the 50, you know, we broke the half Ironman world record, the full Ironman mm-hmm. world record, then the, did the 50 consecutive 140.6 distance over 50 days. And, and that was all in consecutive order, all mm-hmm. in a time frame where we were building the foundational blocks. We were gaining knowledge, gaining experience, getting stronger. Um, I, I, I did Kona the year yeah. before the 50. And so I was in peak shape. I, had, I, I was really racing well. Um, I was 39 years old. I was, I was just really in my prime. And after the 50, we got, we got pushed into, not pushed, but like the demand for speaking and coaching and, and helping people mm-hmm. starting to win the conversations with themselves. And I had shifted my focus and, mm-hmm. and for five, six years, um, I was real, I was traveling. We've now spoken in 56, 54 countries around the world. Um, and I, I, we were coaching, we were mentoring, we were doing a lot of things and I was still trying to stay active and doing races, but I put on 15 pounds, 20 pounds. And you know, in racing, like yeah. 165 to 190 is a very big difference. Yeah. Putting that ba- and, that heavy backpack on your back on the bike, you feel it. <laughs> dude, pow- power to weight is so big in this sport. And so when, when the, when the pandemic hit and the world shut down and coaching and racing and speaking was all taken off the table, I'd always said to myself, I wanted to redo the 50, but never wanted to displace my family and I've got the four teenage girls now and my son's getting older and I, I can't disrupt their lives. But when the, when the pandemic hit, it was like an opportunity to reset my own history and eliminate some of the controversy that happened and the questionable moments. And it was really, it, be, it became this personal journey for me, like to, again, prove myself right. And in the process, it would silence all the critics. And so literally, Mike, it was a four month training camp to get ready for a hundred consecutive full distance triathlons to put that into perspective, that's, that's 14,000 plus miles, no days off. It's a quarter of a year doing 140.6 miles swim, bike, run. And, and uh, it's just, when you say it like that, it's, it's just the enormity of it. And by day five, because we ramped, you know, you have to, you have to slowly ramp your training up. And, and just from experience, I was like, okay, I got stronger throughout the 50. I'm going to use the first 50 full distance triathlons (laughs) as a training block. Well, by day five, I I was already developing stress fractures in my shins. I literally was broken. I was waiting for the step my leg was going to break. 
and then and then it became this like incredible challenge of mental toughness and just just dragging a broken old body through 140.6 miles a day and you're exactly right your observations are spot on by day by day 50 i was so thrilled by 51 cuz i got to reset my own history we did it to perfection Every moment was outside in rain, snow, sleet, hail, wind, whatever. I mean, we had incredible weather that year. And then day 51, 52, 53, and then day 59 happens, and I was in a very bad bike crash. Um, And we found out after it was all over that I actually broke my L5 vertebrae in that crash and had to do 41 of these um, in extreme pain and discomfort, not realizing that we had broken my back. And by day 70 or 80, I was like, this can't get any worse. And what's fascinating is watching the public's perception change as you move the bar or the ceiling. Because you you may not know, but in in 2012, the world record, Guinness World Record was 20 official Ironman events through around the world. And it was held by a guy from Belgium. And I came out and I said I wanted to do 30. And they were like, why not just do 21? And I was like, because I believe that 30 is 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 a, a benchmark that I can hit. Um, and so we put that on the calendar. So now I'm at day 80 of the hundred. I've already done 80 consecutive, Mike. I and, and I have, I have 20 more to go. And the reason I brought up 2012, because the world record was 20 in a year and I still had 20 consecutive more to go. And this is the fascinating part because we established ourselves as who we were and what, what we, we were capable of doing the public would send messages and they would say, you're so close. It's only 20 more to go. And so how did the conversation change from 20 is the world record, 30 is impossible to now I've done 80 and you only have 20 more to go. So it was fascinating for me to watch the psychology of people change and that benchmark or ceiling move when somebody does it. It's like the four minute mile. Now college kids do it, right? And now it's it's just become normal. In fact, dude, the guy just last week at Chicago ran a four thirty-six average pace, yeah, two yeah. hours and thirty-six minutes. Are you freaking kidding me? Like, no way <laughs> marathoners ten years ago would have been like, yeah. Two hours and thirty six seconds. That's going to be that's going to be the mark. Yeah, it's going to be the mark. It's unbelievable the way the benchmark keeps moving and changing. And so it was. It was a fascinating thing for me to observe, like the way that percept you. If someone does it, it changes the perception of what reality is. And so by day eighty, you were right. I I was completely broken mentally, physically, spiritually. I was dealing with this incredible back pain. I had done eighty consecutive, um, and on that day, I pulled out my phone. I was going to give an update to social media. And I went live. I went live on my way mm, to the swim and, and I just said the words and it was all I could get out. I was going to, I was going to like lie and I was going to give this amazing, positive, upbeat. Cause you know, we try to be positive and we try to give people hope. And I was just going to like tell people how great I was feeling. And I was so overwhelmed with that moment on day 80, um, where you saw that shift happen. And the words that came out of my mouth were the following. And I said, I'm going to try, I'm going to try today. And that's, that's literally all I could get out. And that is a huge message that I want to convey to people. Like when you are broken, when you think it's impossible, when you feel the weight on your shoulders, you don't have to do everything in one moment. All you have to do is get up today and try. And you just have to try to move the needle a little bit. Because on any journey, there's going to be easier moments. There's going to be moments where the time flies by and it's ease. And then there's going to be moments where like, 
one pedal stroke seems impossible. And, and, and those are the days where you just have to get up and try. And, and on that journey, that hundred consecutive day 80 was kind of that turning point where I just said, look, I can't control 10 minutes from now. I can't control tomorrow. I can't control day 100. The only thing I can control right now is my effort and how I'm showing up. And if, and if I, if I can, if I can manage this moment, the next moment takes care of itself. Tomorrow takes care of itself. And and we're living in a, in a crazy moment in this world where one, we're fixated on our past mistakes the errors that we've made, and we've, we're not giving ourselves the grace to forgive ourselves for making mistakes. And I, and I truly believe that making mistakes are a gift, and that's how we learn and grow. And then the other side of that coin is we're, we're staring into the future, worrying about the worst-case scenario that hasn't happened yet. And everybody needs to just like take a deep breath, pause, and be right here in this moment. This conversation with you, Mike, right now is the only thing that matters to me. Because it's where I am right now and I want to give you all my love and all of my energy and all of and everything. Because that that's what matters. And if I can take care of right now, dinner's going to happen. <laughs> and I don't need to worry about that. You know. And, you know, James, you mentioned it, it's true. We, If you live in the present, don't worry about those failures of the past. Hopefully you've learned from them. But what I've found is, especially for so many people I've talked to and seen and witnessed, the person that moves forward, goes out and gets that workout in, takes care of themselves, eats well, is a good family person. If they're living a life like that, those the past, they don't talk about it because they're looking forward to the next thing they can accomplish. That's why I'm such a true believer of people doing something hard every day because that hard thing is usually something you're going to push yourself on and then you don't think about what's behind you. Because you're going, I'm doing this today. I'm doing my 100-mile ride or I'm doing 100 push-ups or whatever it may be. Or I'm doing a New York Times crossword puzzle. Oh, my God, that'd drive me crazy. But <laughs> you, you try it. So that, that's why I think our uh, messages of making sure you do something hard every day, get out there and, and do something physically and mentally, you'll, you're not going to worry about the past. James, when was it? Just, re- you, just real quick, with, yeah. with, that, with that thought process, I, I, I love to ask people the question, when was the last time you intentionally became uncomfortable? Mm. And, and, and I love that you just, you just kind of covered that because this is a truth that I've realized and, and this is a gift that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to people right now and, and hope that you can implement this in your life. You have, to, you have to seek out opportunities to become uncomfortable because if you always choose the path of least resistance, if you always choose comfort eventually you will not have a choice and you will only be living in discomfort. You, you will be broke. You will be homeless. You won't have any friends. You won't have any relationships. You'll be, you'll be trapped in anxiety and depression. But if you intentionally seek out discomfort from time to time, you're, you're allowed to enjoy comfortable things. But if you intentionally or on a daily basis, take moments where you can seek out that discomfort, you will always have an option to be comfortable or uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But if you only seek comfort, if you're unwilling to sacrifice your comfort today, eventually you will no longer have an option, my friend, and you will only be living in a state of discomfort. You know, I I don't know about you, but I always have this. I can only sit down and watch a baseball game on TV or rest or whatever after I did something uncomfortable, did something hard. When I do it, 
and and I didn't get a workout in it. I go, well, what do you what do you got your butt sitting here for? Get out, you know. It's like uh, I can only relax after I do that type of stuff. And, and we need and we need to stop comparing ourselves against everybody else as far as like yeah. what, what's what's their hard, what's uncomfortable for them, because we're all at different parts of our journey. And like right now, this is going to sound crazy. Right now, my hard is that that morning yoga routine. Man, it just it destroys me. It's hard. I'm not flexible. I'm not bendy. Mm-hmm. My body hurts at this point. Like I'm I, and I want my I want that back. And and so on the simplest level, my heart right now is is doing that yoga practice every single morning and making myself uncomfortable. So d- stop comparing yourself to everybody out there yeah. and, and and be present on your journey. Meet yourself where you're at and continue to move that bar and that, that, that ceiling for you as an individual. So you've uh, accomplished so much physically and mentally. I know there's a lot more on your plate moving forward, which is great. But when did that? light go on for James Lawrence, that this was going to be your path in life. This is the way you wanted to direct your life, run your life. When did that, did a light go on? Like, I, I, this is me. This is, you know, was it before, was it when Sonny introduced you to doing your first marathon or when did that light go on for you? You know, I I don't, don't, I'll be honest with you. I don't know that the light's gone on yet. And and I, and I don't even know, I don't even, I don't even know my true path. And I don't, I don't know that any of us know our true paths. And the, the problem is, is everyone's sitting at home waiting for their purpose and their passion to knock on their door and slap them across the face. And, and I, 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 I might change careers three more times. I mean, I'm 47 years old. I plan to live to 100. I'm not even 50% of the way through my life. Like the things I now am going to learn and grow and experience because I'm choosing to show up in my life, like that is my path. And I think people have forgotten to do two things. They've forgotten how to dream and they've forgotten to listen to their intuition and their heart. And they're so set on, dude, I need to be an astronaut. I need to be a police officer. I need to be a firefighter. I need to be an accountant. I need to be a lawyer. Stop it. Change careers. Do something new. If you're 60 right now, go try something new. Like it's okay. You're going to suck at something for the very first time when you do it. And we're so scared to be judged by other people because we're going to fail in the beginning. We're not going to be the expert when we start. And that's okay. That's the whole point. And so for me, I honest with you, Mike, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't found my path yet because I don't think there is a path. I think I'm going to continually to adapt and to evolve. And th- that goalpost is always going to be moving. I heard Ed Milet say one time, the greatest regret we're going to have is when we get to the finish line and we realize we didn't reach our truest and full potential. And I, I, I don't know what that path is. I don't know who that is yet. I'm, it's always moving because I'm continually changing and growing. I think it's so funny when somebody says, man, you, you've changed. You're not the same person when, when, when <laughs> you were 30. And I'm like, holy hell, if I'm the same person as I'm 30, I am failing in my life. Mike, are you the same person you were in your 20s to your 30s to your 40s? Not five years ago either. Not five <laughs> years ago, exactly. And so like, I'm so, I'm so thrilled when somebody says, you've changed. I'm like, yes, thank you. Because it's a disaster. If you're not doing anything in your life, that you're the same person you were when you were 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and going forward. I, I had a buddy that when that was said to him, matter of fact, we, we went to high school together. He'd go, we'd go to high school reunions. And one time they said, God, you know, Billy, you've, you've changed. He goes, yes, I have for the better. And they look at him. Oh, okay. Oh, that's good. <laughs> now, what do you think I'm gonna do? Going backwards here? <laughs> I love it. What do you want? What do you want your children to learn from all this? I mean, actions speak louder than words. But 
obviously you've got five children and you want, like everybody, you want to see them succeed and be happy and, and do the things they want to do. What do you want them to learn from, from dad? Yeah. Uh, you know, Sonny and I make a great team and, and none of this happens without a tight family unit and having an incredible support system like Sonny. And, and her and I really have just tried to show up in our lives, try to include the kids and, and just try to try to be the best examples we can. And we, man, parenting's hard and, and trying to be good examples is hard. And we struggle every single day and we try to make the right decisions, but we're not, we're not perfect. And, and for me, it's the, the, one of the greatest gifts we've been able to give our kids is giving them a front row seat to watching Mm -hmm. us struggle and, and cry and face adversities and lose everything and come together and build it back up again. Um, and my kids, man, that just by observing and watching us not quit on ourselves and our journey and love each other, and they've they've learned grit, toughness, resilience. And we, you know, we've got five kids, and we we have an open house policy where friends can come here. And I'd, I'd, in fact, I'd rather have the party at my house yep. so that I know what my kids are doing and who they're hanging out with. <laughs> yeah. And and it's it's amazing. And we've got a very very extensive family with a lot of nieces, a lot of nephews. And and I love to just observe to see who's doing what, how they're developing what parents are, you know, what kids are coming from what parents and the examples that they've set in their lives. Um, and ultimately my, my kids just really show up in their lives by choice. They, they, they don't quit on things. They, they, they work really hard. They have, they have great expectations for themselves. They've learned to have fun. They've learned mm-hmm. to recognize their, their failures and try to turn them into strengths. They're, they've learned to be positive. They, they've learned that who they surround themselves matters. And so it, it's been just an unbelievable gift that we can give our kids to, to allow them literally that front row seat to, to adventure mm-hmm. and to fun. And, and all my kids are so different. It's crazy to, if you've got kids out there and it's crazy, man, these, how are these kids so different? They came from the same two people in the same <laughs> environment all the time, you know, and, and the same lessons and the same, but man, the, just allow your kids to be who they are and, and to, 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 your job as a parent is to to guide them, give them grounding principles, and, and to to cultivate who they are. Yeah, that, um, and it's just it's just been a lot of fun to watch my kids grow up. And I've got one that's getting my oldest is getting married in January, and um, two that are graduating. It's just fun to watch your kids and be involved with them. I'm telling you, wait till the grandkids come. Oh, I've I can't got wait. Two boys, eight year old and five year old, and my my daughters. And I tell my I tell my kids, I tell my son and daughter. Uh, I like these a lot better than you guys. <laughs> you know, something, something about my grandchildren, uh, they they just own you. You, it's the best. It's the absolute best. Well, and and, and my wife, by by intent and on purpose, she, <laughs> she we, we got married very young. She was 19. I was 24. Um, and she said, I want to have a lot of kids and I want to have them really young. And she had mm. all five kids before she was 28 years old. And- wow. And it's because she's always said, I want to be a young grandma to all of my grandkids. And I want to be able to have the energy to play with them and to spoil them, to have experiences with them. And we've, Sonny and I literally grew up together and we're, we're about to celebrate 23 years of marriage and we, we grew up together. And now that we have these four teenage girls and adult girls, um, they're our best friends. And we get to do things with them and, and they become these real people. And we're so excited for that. I mean, I'm still young too. I'm 47 and grand, grandkids are going to be on their way very shortly. And we're very excited for um, that next chapter when it happens. And we're yeah. not going to, we're not going to shy away from it. It's a beautiful thing, but I got to tell you, I was, 
they, we were at the baseball field with my eight-year-old playing, and we were heading to the car, and I said, uh, Graham, I'll race you to the car. He's getting faster now, and, and I can still, you know, put it out. So we take off, and what happened? My hammy starts. I was just staying around watching the game for three hours, and I take off, and I go, oh, no, oh, no, don't let this, don't let this thing go. So I started living, and he beat me. I beat you, Pa. I go, yeah, you did. I wasn't going to pull my hamstring for <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm getting to that point now where my son, he's, he's he's developing muscles and strength and we're working out in the gym and sometimes we'll like lock and just kind of grab and, and I'm like, oh, he's, he's getting stronger. Like it, that yeah. day's going to come, Mike, when, when I need to be careful. Um, I can handle him. I, I can handle him now, but there's going to become a day where he's he's going to he's going to get the best of me. Yeah, dude, I saw you in an MMA fight. Seriously? Yeah, I mean, uh, oh my gosh, I was I'll, just. I'll, I'll, sh I'll share that story real quick. Um, so we raise money for charity all the time, and right. um, I do not consider myself a celebrity in any stretch of the imagination. But locally, I'm a little bit known. Yeah, and they were doing, they were putting on a big event, and they said, "Hey, will you, will you fight um, <laughs> in the main event?" And they gave me eight weeks' notice, and immediately I said, "No." I'm like, "No way, am I doing that?" And 24 hours go by. And, and the reason I said no, Mike, was because it scared me and it made me uncomfortable. And then I thought that's the exact reason why I need to do it, because there's something I need to learn and there's growth that I need to experience. And so I took the fight and I, I wow. got a coach and a trainer and we went through an eight-week training camp. And I got to tell you what I learned in those eight weeks and, and, and in that ring um, was invaluable. And, and I've now made it a motto in my life, like... I need to try to find a reason to say yes to opportunity, especially when it scares me. And when it scares me and makes me nervous, I know I have to say yes, because mm -hmm. that goes right back to being uncomfortable and, and challenging yourself. Because ultimately, we have to overcome our fears in life. And that's that's when growth happens. And I'm so grateful um, that I said yes to that that experience. And it maybe helped that I knocked him out in 33 seconds. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and my arm was raised and and I got to have an amazing experience with my kids front row and ringside and 2,000 people erupt in the stadium. Um, but but it, just such a valuable lesson for me to, you know, under continue to, to practice what I preach. And when, when something really scares you, it's like, damn it, I, I have to do, I have to say yes. So you did Ironman Arizona in 2012. And afterwards, you said, here you did an Ironman. You had a great race. You did a lot of Ironman. You felt empty. What do you think happened? Why would you feel empty after doing it? I don't get that a lot. I don't get people come up to me after doing an Ironman and saying, I felt, I felt empty, Mike. I understand it, but tell us about it. Yeah, that, that race in Arizona, that was race 27 of 30 in that world record year. We had already broken the world record. We were padding the stats. We were doing victory laps. And, you know, when, when I expressed that sentiment to you, uh, it, it was real. And, and what I realized, like, the, the journey was quickly coming to a close. And the, the reason I felt empty is because I've recognized that the value on any journey isn't that finish line. It, it's the journey to get to the, the, that line. And, and in fact, I'm trying to get to more start lines now and the finish line isn't as important to me and I'll always get to the finish line, but it's now creating opportunities and adventures to get to start lines. And, and, and ultimately it's what you, what you learn, who you meet, the relationships that you have, the growth that you experience on that journey. And so when, when, when 
express that to you is because I realized in that moment, like this journey is about to come to an end and I don't mm. know what the next journey is. And again, it's not, it wasn't about that finish line. We were so close to that finish line that that wasn't the point. And I realized in that moment in my career, like the point is the grind, the, the hustle, the highs and lows, the everything that we learn on that. And in, and in fact, when I'm not like showing up in my journey, I, I talk a lot about the bully inside of our heads and and when you're not making yourself uncomfortable and you're you're experiencing comfort for a long period of time, that bully in your head isn't there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are trying to silence and get rid of that bully. But I've learned to recognize that bully as an ally. And he lets me know when I'm showing up in my journey or not. And so if I haven't heard from the bully inside my head for a long time, I know I'm not progressing. And I know I'm not on the path towards a new start line, which is the exact reason why I said yes to that fight. Uh, because I, I knew it was it was, was going to scare me, and I knew there was going to be a journey to get me into that ring. And in fact, we coach a lot of athletes, and I, I tell them all the time: the finish line is the start line of your event, and and it's getting to that start line where you're going to learn the most, where you're going to mm-hmm. grow, where you're going to face those challenges. The actual Ironman that day of that event, where you're going to eventually hear Mike Riley call your name. That's the victory lap. That's the celebration. That that swim, that bike, that run, that, that's that's just your reward for being on that journey. And so that, that's kind of the sentiment behind, you know, th- that comment that I made to you in Arizona. You know, I, I would say things at events through the years and really only say them because, I, I don't know, I thought of it on the spur of the moment one time, gosh, 10, 15 years ago, everybody's in the water in front of me and I see all these scared looks, you know, because not everybody's the swimmer, and and there's four minutes to go before the cannon goes off, and 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 I said, you know what, you, you in, in my book, you're all champions. You're at the start line, and the roar came up like, oh yes, I am, and so many people afterwards said that got me through. I was a champion even before it started. I go, yeah, you went through all the pain and suffering and sacrifice to even get to the start line. So I loved. When you talk about that, because it's it's so true, because there's so many that don't get to the start line. They're afraid. Well, well the reality is, is like, you know, if you're going to the gym, you start to compare yourself against the mm. other people at the gym. If you're training, if you're at an Ironman event, you're, you're comparing yourself against the other 2,000 plus athletes that are there at that event. What we seem to forget is the people that are at that event are the one percenters. Everybody else didn't even have the courage to show up and go through the pain and the mm-hmm. adversity to get to that start line. And I think it was brilliant when when you when you said that and it's so accurate. Like let's celebrate that moment and let's stop comparing ourselves to the 10-hour guy, the 12-hour guy, the 14-hour yeah. guy. You're all in the arena fighting at that moment. And and like I said, anytime I got to the start line, everything after that was the victory lap. Because it is so hard to get to a start line injury-free, not burnt out, still mm-hmm. married, you know, all these things <laughs> yeah. that, that, that you, you've probably seen um, in, in abundance. Like getting to that start line, that is the victory. And, and <clears throat> again, we need to stop comparing ourselves to the people that are in the arena because the amount of people that actually get in the arena is very, very small. So Iron Man is a big part of your life. And, and uh, I, I this is... This is for me personally because when I started discovering that, you know, you and Iron Man were having some difficulties and on the back and forth and I, I don't know, it just really bothered me because I 
You know, it's, it, it's not like Kumbaya, I want everybody to be happy. I just want everybody to be able to get along in our sport because that's how it's going to grow. How, how is that relationship today? Yeah, it's, it's actually good. I mean, obviously the, you know, Ironman is, it's, it's, it's the monster. I mean, they, they're, they're, they are the flagship, um, people, people don't know what a long distance triathlon is. They know what an Ironman is. Mm. Um, and, and I, I've been, I've been a champion for this brand for 20 years, Mike. Um, I send thousands of athletes to the platform. I coach athletes to that platform. I, I just, you know, it was hard for us as a family saying, you know, when, when we would get the, the cease and desist letters from, from the corporation. Um, and we were just like, man, we, we're doing everything we can to to push people towards this experience. We know how special it is, um, and so it was just hard. And the the relationship is is what it is. I mean, they, they've they've obviously done an amazing job, but I, I think everybody can recognize that they've they've made some missteps. Um, and and the pandemic was obviously an impossible situation, mm-hmm. um, and so many people handled it in different ways. And there's a lot of opinions out there on how they did it. And now the the current controversy with, you know, moving away from Kona and splitting up the men and women races, and you know, it's it's hard to know those conversations that are going on in in the back room. And eventually, I had to have a conversation with Andrew Messick and and have a dialogue and and. Uh, I, I believe now we're, we're over all of those hurdles. Um, and, Good. and thankfully I'm at the, you know, the end of my like really competitive <laughs> career where, where like I, I need those, those, those races and those platforms. And I'm getting into just more like adventure kind of racing. I'm big into mountain biking and, and just doing things for the love of, uh, love of doing it. And, you know, I've, I've covered the, the 140.6 mile distance uh, close to 200 times now. And, uh, and I'm really satisfied and I'm, you know, d- despite all of the, 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 the negativity or, or bad and, and perception between myself and the Ironman brand, dude, they, they were such a gift to me, um, and, and, and continue to be so they, 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 they shaped my life. They've inspired, like I watched every episode of the broadcast mm-hmm. when, when they did Kona, I even went back and watched all the old, old, um, old renditions and, and I, I've seen it all. I've consumed it all. It, it was just so inspiring. And, and I owe, I owe a lot to the Ironman brand and I, and I just wish they had, um, treated us a little bit differently and recognized that dude, I'm your ally. I sent, I literally sent thousands of athletes to your platform and I've never asked for a dime. In fact, I've given you probably close to a hundred thousand dollars in race entry fees. Um, and so it was just a little hurtful to get, you know, letters from their attorneys saying you cannot say that word, um, you know, Iron Man, um, in, in what you're doing. And I get it. I understand it. They've built a brand and they want to stay consistent, but I, I just wish they would have recognized that we, we can all play in the same same sandbox mm-hmm. and uh, they, they've just done such this this is my like like final thing like they've done just such a great job at creating a brand they're brilliant marketers and it's now just become public use like it's so common it's like band-aid or xerox or any of these kleenex those are brands that people now associate with a certain thing and congratulations iron man you've done such an amazing job at creating a brand that people associate that distance with that word and so I, I see it all over. I love the brand. Um, I, I don't agree with some of the decisions that, that, that they've made, but they have given me such a platform. They've given me such opportunity and it will forever be a huge part of, of who I am. And I'm eternally grateful and I'm grateful for you and, and oh, calling, 
so many amazing athletes through so many finish lines and welcoming me with open arms every time. You've never said a bad thing about me. Um, and it was just, it was just so welcoming every time I heard you would say, you know, James Lawrence, you're the, you're, you're, you are an Iron Man. It meant that I was on heading to the next part of my journey. And every time that finish line was so special and you don't know, it, but we got to share a lot of moments together. I know. <laughs> so I've, just, I know. I've just been grateful for Iron Man and you and, and the platform that you guys were able to create. Yeah. The, the, uh, James in sport and life, who do you admire? And, and, you know, I obviously the family and Sonny, your wife and, but is there anybody sports figures you admire for some of the things they have done or how they lead their lives? Yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I, I've learned that I have to separate um, someone's personal life from their athletic achievements. Sometimes you have to separate those two um, and look at certain pieces of it because we're all human. We're all going to make mistakes. And, and many of us can't comprehend um, life decisions we would make personally if we were given that much money, right? Those, those athletes are yeah, the highest. Yeah. And so I think we have to kind of separate that. But for me, if I was to isolate one athlete who I think has it together across everything he does, it's an MMA fighter from Canada called George St. Pierre. And to me, he signifies discipline, respect, hard work, consistency, performing at the highest level, being a world champion multiple times, defending your title, um, talking to people in a respectful way, encouraging people, creating community community, excuse me. And, and I just, I just love watching any athlete at a high, and I'm just talking athleticism. I'm just talking right. like inside sports right now. Um, athletes that changed the way a sport was played. They, they changed the, a sport. Uh, a couple examples, Wayne Gretzky changed hockey, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Steph Curry changed basketball. Uh, Conor McGregor changed uh, uh, the fight game. Tiger Woods changed golf. Everybody in the golf world should be thanking Tiger Woods um, for what he did on the golf course because you guys are multi, multi-millionaires because of the, those paydays. Fighters now, the game changed because of Conor McGregor. Um, love him or hate him, Lance Armstrong changed cycling. Um, there's so many examples of an athlete on, the, on their field that did it for such a long period of time with with such an amazing like LeBron James, twenty years in his career, still posting career highs. Mm -hmm. That's that's remarkable to to do that. And so for me, the true sign of a an athlete is someone that's done it at the highest level for a very long period of time, because that means they understand basics, fundamentals, and the true secret to success is doing a lot of little things consistently over a long period of time. And so I have a wall of champions in my office, um, not in this room, but in an office, and it, it's got guys like. Kobe Bryant and, oh. and, and Conor McGregor and, and Tiger Woods and Serena Williams and all of these people, Muhammad Ali and T Mike Tyson, all these guys that changed the way people view, participate and, and, and watch a sport like they, they, they're legendary in that aspect. So I, I know about this event quite a bit. I've talked to a lot of people that have done it. But you said it's probably the toughest triathlon you ever did. The Norseman. That's, that's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, the, the Norseman, it's an unbelievable race. It's a race in Norway. It's a full-distance triathlon. Uh, they boat you out into the Norwegian fjord. You jump off this boat into freezing cold waters, and it's a one-way ticket back to shore. You climb over a couple mountain passes, and then the run is up a mountain. <laughs> and uh, 
I've, I've had an opportunity to do it three times now and all three times have been, gotten the black shirt, which is the coveted black shirt yeah. that you want. Um, and actually now uh, we are part of the X-Try series and we host an event in Utah called Starvation X-Try. And it's actually the only U.S. qualifier for the world championships in Norway. So if you want to challenge yourself, you can look wow. it up. It's starvationxtry.com. And uh, you want to find out what you're going to do if you're willing to take the next step, come to Utah and we'll, uh, we'll have an experience. And in fact, for the 2024 edition, I'm going to toe the line um, of our race here in Utah. And I, and I truly believe it is the hardest full distance triathlon in the world. What, what, what's the date of the one in Utah? August 3rd, 2024. August. Okay. Wait, tell us about uh, Iron Grit. What's Iron Grit experience all about? Yeah, we're. I'm so excited about this 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 uh, a new adventure we're going on, um, and it's called the Iron Grid Experience. And literally, I've had an amazing career. I've been speaking for over ten years. Right. And every time I get off the stage, I get the question, "How do I become more mentally tough?" And you you can be motivated and inspired and and all of it, but it means nothing unless you take an action. And it's hard for people to create experiences in their lives where they are where they are pushed physically and mentally and so we have created which i which i'm calling my gift back to the community um an iron grid experience that has nothing to do with triathlon but it is a emotional spiritual physical mental journey over three days where we come together as a small group of 20 to 30 people and we talk about motivation and connection and breath work and some physical challenges and all these different things um and it, it's, it's the opportunity to have that experience where you're going to ask yourself, a, a, am I going to take the next step? Am I going to continue to show up my journey? And that's truly how you become more mentally tough. And so our first one is actually um, in, in one week from today of this recording in Kanab, Utah. And then in 2024, we've got one in um, Sundance, Utah, one in San Diego. And then our flagship event next year is going to be on a British private British island um, the weekend of May 29th. And it's going to be an unbelievable experience. Wow. If you've got availability, if you've got the means, come join me. It's going to be limited to 25 people. It's going to be incredible. You, you got to let me know when the San Diego one is. I'd love to come by. See what oh, the, for sure, man. That'll be a blast. Yeah. I'd love, love to be, a, you know. We'll have, we'll, have, we'll have you be a, a VIP guest speaker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what satisfaction do you get out of public speaking? Well, it, it's it's crazy, Mike, because I'm I'm it's I'm I'm an introvert. It's hard to tell with my social media and my family and the racing and everything that I do. But if my, my friend, if my old friends uh, from high school came randomly were mistakenly in one of the audiences that I was in, they'd be like, well, "Who is that guy?" Yeah. Uh, just because I get up there, I'm very passionate about our journey, the lessons that we've learned, um, and ultimately, I've just realized that people have lost lost hope um, on the journey that they're on. And, and our team's willingness to suffer intentionally has given people hope on their journey. And so what I get out of it is um, when, when somebody, and guarantee you've experienced this, when someone comes up to me and, and says, you know, you don't know me, um, but you just changed my life. And then you, 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 you get an email and someone says, hey, you spoke six months ago and I was, I was too scared to come up and talk to you uh, because of where I was in my life. But I've now made these changes and this is where I'm at today. And that, that fills my bucket so so full, mm -hmm. Mike. Mm -hmm. uh, when when someone says, you know, be, because of what you guys did, it it impacted me and it gave me hope on my journey. And, and I think that's what everybody's goal in life should be: is to show up in their lives, um, and 
and recognize that even though you don't realize it, that people are watching you. And the, the ripple effect that you can have, the impact that you can have um, is, is enormous. And it's mm-hmm. about the legacy that we leave behind, small or big. Um, and the best example I can give to that is four years ago, Chris Nickich's family sat down and watched the Iron Cowboy documentary that was on Netflix. Yeah. And he said, if that guy can do 50, I can do one. And his platform is huge now. How many people is he motivating and inspiring? Oh. And that ripple oh. effect continues to grow. And I, and I often ask myself, what would have happened if I quit somewhere on that journey and we didn't produce that documentary? What, what's Chris doing today? And now, how many people is he inspiring and motivating? And so it's just like, can just show up on your journey. Like day 80, just show up and try. Because you, you truly know have no idea the, the legacy, the impact that you can have. One moment can change someone's life. And that's truly the greatest gift that you can give back to anybody. Yeah, Chris has affected, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people, his story. I'll tell you, when he did his first Ironman at Ironman Florida, November of 2020, I'm making the call. Nobody's at the finish line. It's pandemic. It's a wonder the race was even put on. But He's out there pushing, pushing. When he came in, as he turned the corner, I actually, I I almost lost it. I, I have always been able to, you know, keep it together no matter who it is and but for something hit me about that. I was a special ed teacher and something just hit me about it. Like, oh my gosh, I've seen a lot of history at finish lines where history was made. You've made history. But for some reason, that one just dug deep to the core. Uh, and and I, I, my voice started cracking, bringing them in. And it wasn't like my voice was hurting, but it was just so impactful that even today when I talk about it, uh, because I knew it was going to be out there for the future to be able to grab and hold and all the parents of Down syndrome children and what it was going to do. So it was it was a magic moment in our sport, and I hope people follow Chris too. Yeah, a special kid, special family. I was thrilled to be just the smallest part of, of, of kick-starting that journey, and then what an honor to to guide him at the Chicago yeah. Marathon last Sunday, and, and we're trying to create a path to in Kona next year where I get to be his guide there, and I'll kind of like sign off to the Ironman world at that moment. But yeah. Just an honor to be part of his journey and um, just that small piece of, of par- being part of his legacy and, and th- the thousands of people that he's been able to impact and empower. I don't want to keep you much longer. I know you're a busy man and you've got more workout to do today. You hear me? <laughs> yes, sir. I'll get so it done. One of my last questions is, try. it's called tri-table racing. I've got friends that race the Baja 1000 and I, I, I've been a second seat on the 1000 race and I, oh, cool. you know, riding a bike 200 miles is easier than sitting in that second seat for, a th- th- anyway, they sit around afterwards, they call it table racing. They reminisce about the event, what went wrong, what went right, all that good stuff. I call this tri table racing, reminisce with us, a moment of an event, uh, something about event, something that happened during an event. You've got so many memories. What comes to your mind right now to tri table race with us? Yeah, one of the greatest moments of my my entire career, aside from like my kids being present and and experiencing the entire community with my family, um, was during that 2012 world record when I had an opportunity to to pull a boy with um, cerebral palsy mm. through through an entire event, and and it, it we we struggled and had problems and it, it, you know it's just 
I, that, that part of my journey was inspired by the legends, Rick and Dick Hoyt mm-hmm. and, and watching them, him and do that for his son. And I was like, man, if I could ever have the opportunity to do that for a young man, I, I would, I would jump at it. And so on race 27 of 30, the week before Ironman Arizona, um, I had that opportunity and I, I got to pull, um, a young man named Dayton with cerebral palsy through 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike and a 26.2 marathon run. Um, and it was an incredible experience. And I just kept looking back at him and thinking, man, Dayton can't ride a bike and I, I get to ride my bike today and Dayton can't run and I get to run tonight. And, and I think in life we just get caught up in so much of the noise and the bull crap and the, the small petty things that we forget that we get to wake up every single day and have one more day one more chance, one more opportunity, one more experience, one more hug, you, you know, and, and th- that was, that was one of the greatest finish lines and, mm-hmm. and experiences that I got to have. Um, and when, when our entire team was there and we got to put that medal around Dayton's neck, um, that, that was probably the highlight of my career, um, wow. to, be, to be able to do that for him, to have that experience, to learn the lessons, um, f- from a young man who's just trapped inside of his body that doesn't get to do a lot of the things that we get to do. And so it was, again, it was my honor. Um, and now, now my mission is, is to help as many people achieve their version of whatever impossible is to them. Beautiful story. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. So how can people find you? How can they buy your book? Come on, how can they connect? Let us yeah. know. Yeah, we're active on social media. Um, on Instagram, it's Iron Cowboy James. Uh, you can buy our book, Redefine Impossible. And I'm super excited. You're going to love this, Mike. We're releasing our new book next year. It's called Iron Hope. Um, and oh, it's I love it. We want to we help everybody gain hope and perspective on their life and their journey. And then our new documentary is also going to be premiering, um, hopefully at the Sundance Film Festival here in Utah in January. And so everything is going to be on um, ironcowboy.com. Or on Instagram at Iron Cowboy James. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Um, we love to help as many people as we can, whether it's through informa- um, inspiration or advice. We just love love communicating with the community. I'm an open book. I answer all my DMs. Send me a question or if you have it. Um, just love to give back. James, you know, it's as simple as this. Thank you very much for being you and especially continuing to be you. So give your best to my, to your lovely family and wife, Sonny. Uh, it's been an honor to have you on the show. And, and people like you make our lives harder, which makes it easier. <laughs> so thank you very much. Aloha to you, James Lawrence. Well, I, I appreciate it, Mike. And if you do me a favor, say it one more time. The finish line, the greeting. I just, I'm just going to close my eyes, and I just, I just want to hear you say it. James Lawrence, you are an Iron Man. Yeah, I love you, brother. Thank you so much. What a moment, and uh, God bless. You got it. So if you enjoyed the show today, please subscribe to become notified of upcoming shows. Give us a review if you would. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or go to my website, MikeRiley.net. You're the cause of your own experiences. Make them positive each and every day, and it'll get you to your finish line. Take care, everybody. Aloha.